Coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with the Adelaide Crows' Chloe Shear, the Geelong Cats' Olivia Purcell, AFL Scotland's Kirsty Gray and the USAFL's Brian Barish. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. Also via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Shortly we'll be catching up with this week's NAB AFLW Rising Star co-nominees, Chloe Shear and Olivia Purcell. Kirsty Gray is going to pop by to talk about the Haggis Cup that was played over the weekend in Edinburgh, Scotland. And Brian Barris is going to give us the latest on expansion news in the United States Australian Football League. We also welcome back our Adelaide reporter in Ali Schiller. She's going to be looking at the Sanford Women's Competition. Round three was played over the weekend. And of course, we have Coach Kiwi with her kiss of death. But first, to the latest AFLW news. As just mentioned, the NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees for this week are Chloe Shear of the Adelaide Crows and Olivia Purcell. The match review officer has charged only one player in round five, that being North Melbourne defender Talia Randall. She's accepted a $400 fine through an early guilty plea after being charged with engaging in rough conduct against Adelaide Coast skipper Erin Phillips. News out of one of the expansion teams, the Gold Coast Suns have named their inaugural AFL women's coach. It is David Lake. He has a resume of about 15 years of coaching in Queensland. He had coached the PNG Mozzies. That's the Papua New Guinea men's side that's been playing in the International Cup. And he was also a midfield coach with the Lions AFLW program before taking on this new gig at the Gold Coast Suns. Congratulations to David. To our first guest for this week, she's been a superstar sporting talent since her mid-teens. In fact, she won three Narelle Smith medals in a row. That's the best under-18 girls footballer in SA. In fact, in one night in 2016 at the SAWFL presentation evening, she won the under-18s league best and fairest, won the under-18s league leading goal kicker, came third in the senior women's division one league goal kicking tally and won the Dutchki medal for senior women's division one league best and fairest at the age of just 16. She would also go on in 2017 in the inaugural Sanford Women's Competition to win the Powerade Star Search. She would also win three premierships with the Northern Jets in the South Australian Cricket Association Women's A-Grade. She seemed to be destined for the AFLW in 2018. However, during the 2017 Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 season playing with Modbury, she would do her ACL and be ruled out for a year. We would have to be patient and wait another season until we would see her star on the AFLW national stage. And it's our great privilege to have on the line from the Adelaide Crows, Chloe Shear. Chloe, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. I need to ask the question straight off the bat. How does it feel to be the NAB Rising Star for this week? And importantly, how does it feel to be on the end of a Chelsea Randall and Courtney Cramey prank? (laughs) 
Um, well, the first question, uh, it's unbelievable, obviously, coming off of a band to get that recognition. So I'm definitely happy with that. Um, and with the with the prank, uh, I was definitely sh- myself. Yeah, they got you good, to say the least. But um, as you said, it was all smiles in the end. What a fantastic week it's been for the Crows, that uh, big win against North Melbourne. And what was the challenge like coming into the week, knowing that you were taking on a side that not only hadn't been beaten, but were winning by comfortable margins? Yeah, like you said, they were undefeated. So um, we definitely knew that it was going to be a tough game. So we knew we had to play probably the best game that we have for the season to beat them and um, like at the start of the game it was pretty close until say I guess the fourth quarter when we really ran away so um, yeah we just we just had to you know stick to our game plan and I think that's what we did and definitely helped get us over the line. Let's step back through time for a moment Back to the days of Gawler Central. I believe you started playing footy at under-11s level. Uh, who took you along, first of all, to footy, and, and what got you involved? Um, definitely Dad. Um, probably from the age of five. I was just always in the backyard kicking the kicking the footy with him. And then, um, yeah, one day he took me out to Gawler Central's, and um, I was only, I think, nine when I played in the under-11. So I was really small and... Um, yeah, I guess that's from that's where I started, and then obviously went to under thirteens and played a bit of football at Gawler Centrals in my time. Then, of course, you made the big jump to Modbury. I think it was when you were age fifteen that you uh, went there, and in fact, uh, around that same age, you started playing senior women's football. What was it like, still being in your mid-teens, having to make the step up, playing against women who were almost double your age? Um. I think what helped was just my passion for football. But um, at the time, it was challenging playing two games. So I was playing, I think it was under under 18 and then also doing women. So it was tough playing two games a week. But um, like I said, I think just my passion for football is definitely what helped me get over the line each week. It was a sensational first year. Um, you end up winning three Narell Smith medals for the best uh, under-18s. Um, playing in senior women's football, you actually third, win third in the Dutch ski medal. Then came that time when you were 16 years old, a year where I'll, I'll just sort of give a little bit of background to our listeners. That same night, Daisy Pierce won her seventh league best in Ferris in the VWFL, VFLW. That same night, Amanda Ferrugia won the Sydney women's uh, best in Ferris. We're writing up stories about that. And then came through your story. You won the under-18s best in Ferris, the under-18 goal-kicking award, came third in the senior women's goal-kicking award, and won the Dutchkey medal for the SAWFL Division One best in Ferris. Just quietly, I think you had an okay night. Yeah, oh, I couldn't get sick of walking up on stage. But, um, yeah, I think that year was challenging. Um, I did miss a few games throughout the year. So um, to come off with the Dutch year was pretty amazing. But, um, yeah, I think I had a pretty good year with under-18s and women. So it was really good just to get rewarded. Roughly around that same time of year, or the same time in your career, should I say, um, you're excelling in cricket. You're playing with the Northern Jets. Uh, I think from the, about the age of 14, you were playing in the SACA A-grade women's competition. You played in three flags 
in a row with the Northern Jets, including one game where you made a blistering 37, including seven boundaries. Was it a difficult choice at that stage when you got to 16 of, OK, am I going to focus on football or am I going to focus on cricket, where you'd actually represented your state as well? Yeah, it was, it was definitely challenging. I mean, I when I decided to quit cricket, I actually sat down with the Scorpions coach and, um, you know, I had to tell her face-to-face that I couldn't do really cricket anymore because I wanted to focus on football. So that was a very challenging time for myself. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Obviously, I wanted to pursue my dream with football and, you know, that's what I've done. So... I'm glad that's paid off. After you won the Dutchkey medal, um, you go into your first Sanford W pre-season uh, playing for North Adelaide. That year, you'd end up uh, playing in the grand final and as part of the runners-up, you'd win their best on ground. How did you find that year and stepping up yet another level, having to take your game to another level, considering in that competition as well, you had mixed in players from the Crow squad who obviously if they weren't selected to play AFLW that week, you were playing against. Yeah, um, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I think in a way, um, it definitely got me ready for AFLW, especially um, because obviously my fitness improved and, um, just like little things like that. But um, yeah, it was just such an exciting year for women's sport being the first year of the NFL. So um, yeah, I was just so happy to be a part of that. But um, to have, have been coached by Matt and like just, you know, how many premierships he's won was just outstanding to be coached by him. So, um, and just even the others that were coaching me as well. So um yeah, I think we still had a pretty good year, even though we lost the grand final. You also won the Powerade Star Search for the Sanford W's inaugural season. Then you rolled back into playing with Modbury Hawks in the SAWFL, or as it would be renamed, the Adelaide Footy League uh, Women's Division 1. Prior to that moment, which ended your season, what were your thoughts? Adelaide Crows had just won the Premiership. You're seen as hot property, a certain draftee for the Crows. What's going through your mind at that stage, thinking you're possibly months away from being drafted? Yeah, oh, it was just it was crazy because obviously I was in the first year, just you know I was training with them already, so I already felt a part of the part of the team, and then um, leading into that game against Morphville, um, yeah, just. It just happened all so quickly and then I was supposed to go to Allies the week after and then obviously I couldn't do that. So I was, you know, obviously broken and knew that, you know, my dreams were gone. That's what I thought. So um, to get back from where I left off was was pretty exciting and uh, it's definitely been a, a long journey back. I can imagine after you did your knee and you're thinking the worst, there would have been obviously some dark times. Who did you turn to during that time to get your mind focused and to get back on track and to go through your rehab? Um, I definitely think my family support has been um, probably definitely what helped me get over the line. But um, Phil Harper from the Crows, he, you know, he supported me through everything. Um so I think definitely if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have been able to get, you know, the quality 
rehab and sources, um, like physios, doctors, etc. So, yeah, because I went through them with my surgery and um, couldn't have picked a better surgeon, really. So, uh, definitely look up to him and everything he's done for me. But, um, like I said, I think family, at the end of the day, their support, especially with late-night gym sessions. So, um, yeah, it was just a very tough time for me. Was it in, I guess, a strange sense, a bit of a blessing in disguise because there'd been so much hype around you? Because you were sitting out for a year, all of a sudden, particularly in Victoria, names such as Nina Morrison, uh, Madison Press-Parkers, Olivia Purcell, Elise Parker out of New South Wales, uh, uh, Sabrina Duffy out of WA, all of a sudden these names started popping up on the scene and all the attention went over there. You kind of slipped under the radar at that stage. Did that try and help in your preparation for 2019, knowing the focus wasn't on you and thus the pressure in a way wasn't there? Not really. I didn't mind, like, you know, everyone talking about me, but I never really turned to that. I just kept focusing on my football, and I guess that's, you know, how I've always been. So, um, obviously, you know, even to this day, I just just keep wanting to focus on football and keep improving myself. Let's talk about game number one for you. You kicked a goal on debut for the Adelaide Crows and the uh, one-point loss to the Western Bulldogs. What was that feeling going through your mind as you ran out onto Norwood Oval for the first time in Crows colours? The feeling was just so surreal. There's nothing better than that. Um, You know, you watch watch everything on TV, but then to do it in person is just, it was crazy and... Um, to be finally running out for the Crows as well made it even better. So, um, yeah, and then obviously at the end we lost by a point, so that was very devastating after, you know, them being reigning premiers. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I definitely think we've, we've built from that. The Crows kicked one goal 11 in that game. That would definitely be the lowest score for the year because after that, you're racking up as team scores of, of 10 and 9 successfully. So the scoring certainly improved by the next week. What was said after that uh, game one behind closed doors and, and what do you think made the switch inside the minds of all the players for this great form reversal that you've had and, and the wave that you had so far to top Group A? Um, I definitely think... Um we looked at it and obviously thought, no, this isn't acceptable at all. Um, so, you know, we trained our off and, um, yeah, just worked on structures and um, just as a forward line, working out, um, you know, patterns and just little things like that. So I definitely think that helped us going forward. But, um, yeah, it's just, I guess learning each week, every by every game, and um, yeah, just finding ways to get better. Turning focus to Sandville W again for just a moment. Your older sister Abby is playing with the Central District Bulldogs. Thirteen possessions for her on the weekend uh, over the Eagles. How great is it to see your sister doing well? And how do you rate her personally as a footballer? Oh, it's great. Um, obviously to not only be the only one in the family wanting to play football. So um, 
obviously when I'm not playing and I've got free time to watch her play, I definitely love going out and watching her play and just supporting her wherever I can. And um, it's great to see her doing well at NFL level. Um, as a footballer, um, you know, I think she's, she's got good skills. Uh, I definitely think she's still... Um, well, personally, I think she still would have been better at netball because she was she was flying really high with all her netball stuff before she did her knee. So, um, but like I said, um, just to see her playing football and just enjoying herself is is really good. We take a step back to the Crows for the moment. Having a look inside the Crows camps, in your eyes, who do you see that sets the bar when it comes to training and work ethic on field? Oh, I could name a few. Um, just, well, I guess just the, the whole team. We just we all want to improve as one, um, and you know we're all so competitive. And at the end of the day, we, we're still enjoying each other's company, even though we're wanting to be competitive. So um, I think that's what makes us such a quality side. And um, you know, obviously, we have leaders: Aaron Phillips, Chelsea Randall. Um, you know, they lead the way and. Yeah, I definitely think our girls follow them. And like I said, just because we're so close and the way we go about things makes us such a quality side. Just taking a look back for a moment to that Ruse uh, versus Crows game at Werribee, there's an iconic photo from that which shows side-by-side the two league best and fairest from 2017, Aaron Phillips, and from 2018, Emma Carney lining up against each other. Are there moments when you're out in the field and you see that in front of your eyes, do you almost pinch yourself going, I'm out here on the field with them? Um, personally, not really. I just try and focus on my game. Um, I, I respect both of those girls, especially Erin. Like, you can't fault her. She's probably the best player that we've all ever seen. So... Um, Obviously, I try and follow her footsteps and, like I said, the way she leads our team. But, um, yeah, it's just, I guess it's crazy to think, you know, you've watched these girls on TV and then, you know, next thing you're standing out on the field with them. So, I guess that's something that I pinch myself with. But, um, other than that, you know, I just, I guess, tend to play my own game and, you know, obviously I've got a reason that I'm out on the field, so... I don't want to let anything, I guess, stop my game. Everyone's their own best critic. So if you were to look at your own game, what do you personally think that you need to improve on to take your game to another level? Um, I just guess um, confidence. Just, I still don't think I've got my full confidence um, like I had before I did my knee. So um, I think when I get back to full confidence. I think I you'll well I guess everyone will be able to see um, the way that I really play because I still believe that I'm not at my at my best yet. So um, I'll keep working on that and you know obviously it might take till next year to see that. So um, yeah I'll just keep my head down and keep working. Coming up for the Crows, it's your final home game of the year. You play away in the last round, one uh, thirty-five p.m. local time. You're at Sturt at Unley Oval taking on the Giants. How are you looking forward to the challenge that win this game and it's just about a semi-final spot locked away? 
yeah, I think I think it'll be a great game. I think you know GOS has nothing to lose, so if they think they're going to bring their rule, and um, I think it'll be I think it'll be great to see how the girls I guess respond after North Melbourne's win. So um, obviously I don't know if I'm playing yet, but hopefully I am and get back on the field with the girls and hopefully we can get another strong win. And my last question, like I ask everyone, how does it feel to you personally when people say the phrase, Chloe Shear, AFLW footballer? Um, I guess it's just um, it's unbelievable. You know, years ago, there was never an AFLW around or never in mind, really. So, you know, to have it here and two, three seasons in and finally a part of it, it's just it's crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm just enjoying myself and um, sometimes there's a bit of hype about me and, you know, you take it in, but then you try and forget about it and just keep focusing on football. Well, Chloe, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. And we wish you all the very best this weekend as you take on the Giants at Unley Oval and throughout the remainder of the home and away season and hopefully the semi-finals and final. Thank you very much for having me. Now we're going to swing up to the Northern Hemisphere for a moment because the Haggers Cup was played in Edinburgh, Scotland over the weekend. And to give us a lowdown on everything that happened, we have on the line from AFL Scotland, Kirsty Gray. Kirsty, how are you? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Congratulations on yet another successful Haggers Cup. Thank you very much. So just to explain to people, what is the origin of the Haggis Cup? How did it all begin and what is the format of the tournament? Um, Well, I'm not actually sure when the Haggis Cup started, um, but I think it's been running for around 20 years. Um, And it just started as a a fun pre-season tournament um, that was hosted by by the Sparkle team, which is the Scottish Australian Football League. Um, And originally it was a a men's only event. Um, It's it's a minus side competition. Um, and we invite teams from across the United Kingdom, uh, Europe, and um, Ireland. And um, yeah, it's managed over the years. And uh, we now have both a women's tournament and a men's tournament. And um, this year we, we had our biggest women's tournament yet, which is fantastic. And I think the great thing on the women's side is, uh, as part of participating clubs, the Scottish sides finally outnumbered the teams from England. Um, just the Wimbledon Hawks and the Wandsworth Demons coming up from London. And now you've got four Scottish mm-hmm. league teams, uh, obviously the two from Glasgow, the Sharks and the Giants, and the West Lothian Eagles and Edinburgh Bloods. That's right. Yeah, this is the, the first year that we are um, kind of starting off a a women's carnival league, um, kind of following in the footsteps of what Ireland did originally um, as a, as a seven-a-side um, carnival format to, to get us going. So um, that's really helped to start to develop our clubs, and we're very excited about the year ahead. Can you talk about how this tournament went down? Because I believe Wandsworth brought enough numbers to split their team into two, while two of the Scottish sides are combined forces. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's it's a friendly pre-season tournament, so it's really all about getting people um, as much game time as we can. So, um, Wandsworth Demons got up the two teams, and then we had uh, the Wimbledon Hawks, um, as the Giants and Edinburgh was combined, and then West Lovian Eagles and Glasgow Sharks. 
The tournament ended up going down to the final game where Wandsworth got the cup, but only a one-point victory over the Glasgow Sharks. And considering how Wandsworth has been so dominant in the AFL London women's competition, that must be uh, very satisfying, at least on the Scottish side of the equation of, OK, you didn't get the cup, but you've pushed a very, very good London team to just within one point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ones were uh, brought up quite a number of their, their newer players to the tournament to give them um, a chance for a run out. So there was quite a few um, first game players in the ones for our team as well. And um, the Glasgow Sharks combined with some of the, the Wimbledon Hawks for the final as well to, to boost their squad. So it ended up being a very competitive game. Um, and yeah, it was very close with um, one point uh, scored in the, the last few minutes being the difference between the teams. Uh, from your point of view, who were some of the uh, better players throughout the tournament? So many good players, and it's hard to pick out um, a few. But um, from from my own team, the, the Glasgow Giants and Edinburgh Bloods, we had a number of um, debutants uh, with um, some people getting their first goals, uh, some people improving vastly from, from their, their previous games. So um, for, for me, um, for the Scottish girls, uh, Laura Park, uh, who also plays for the GB Swans, and she played very well throughout the tournament. Um, as did Lorna Murdoch, who is one of our Scottish girls. She was playing down at fullback. Um, Caroline Seller um, of the Sharks um, had another standout tournament, as did um, Orla from the Sharks as well. And um, from the English girls, I don't know all their names, but um, Pritt from the, the Wandsworth team has got the player of the tournament. She had a, a very good uh, tournament. And um, for the Hawks, um, Rachel Martin in Ruck had an outstanding um, day all day long. Going forward after the Haggis Cup, we know, of course, for the London teams, they've got their pre-season cup coming up in April, then they begin their regular season. I believe you began a, a Scottish Women's League uh, beginning back as far as February. What's now on the cards for the four Scottish teams as you head throughout 2019? Well, yeah, we started quite early this year. Um, I think um, moving forward, we'll probably bring that season into to kind of tie in more men's, but... Um, Started early just to, to get um, get the momentum going, and um, with the, the Euro Cup being early this year in June, um, we've kind of spaced the, the carnivals out over the course of um, February through to end of July, um, and just pressing with um, training sessions for the Scotland teams so that we're as, as best prepared as we can for going over to the Euros. And then what we're aiming to do is that each club will host one carnival where all the teams will come together, and then at the end of the the carnival season, uh, we will have a women's grand final, which will be played before the men's um, in August. Yourself, a GB Swans representative, uh, there's a big couple of years ahead. You've obviously got the European Championships uh, happening in London October. Then it rolls around to 2020 in Melbourne for the next edition of the International Cup. And then in 2021, the Atlantic Series with the uh, USA Freedom. Yeah, there's there's lots going on, and it's a, a very exciting time to be involved in um, Aussie rules um, in the UK, and particularly with the, the GB ones. There's um, a lot of competition, and now we've got a lot of um, great young girls coming through um, down in the, the south of England and in Cardiff. There's there's um, quite a lot happening down there, and um, hope, we're hoping to to get um, as much Scottish talent as we can into the GB one squad as well. So. So yeah, there's plenty happening and plenty to keep us on our toes and um, it's, it's going to be an exciting three, three years. 
Well, Kirsty, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best uh, as you uh, go throughout the remaining Scottish Australian Rules Football League women's season and, of course, with your commitments with Scotland coming up in the Euro Cup and the GB Swans over the next few years. Thanks very much, Peter, and it's great to speak to you. Our next guest has had a great couple of years with the Geelong Falcons and the under-18 system. In 2017, she was named to the TAC Cup Team of the Year and was also an All-Australian. And last year, she was a member of the Geelong Falcons TAC Cup Premiership Team, along with being their vice-captain, their best and fairest, and again named to the TAC Cup Team of the Year and given All-Australian honours. She would play with the Geelong Cats in their VFLW Grand Final Team, She'd be picked up in the draft by the Cats and make her debut in round one with Geelong in the AFLW. This week, she was named an NAB AFLW Rising Star co-nominee. It's great to have on the line Olivia Purcell. Olivia, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. For the Cats, a win over the weekend against the Lions. And unlike the two previous wins against uh, Collingwood and Carlton, which were almost get-out-of-jail jobs, your first win that was actually quite comfortable in the end. Yeah, yeah, it was actually really nice to get a win on the road um, after, obviously, losing against Adelaide on the road. So we're all pretty happy on the plane trip home, which is nice. So, yeah, it was great to get a win um, with that, um, such margin. For yourself, 20 disposals, 10 tackles on the weekend. Do you find yourself uh, slowly each week getting more and more into the groove of the AFLW standard? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, well, with all of us players, we're really finding, uh, finding our pattern now. So it's been really good. And um, each week, I think we're gelling and playing on our terms now. Let's take a step back through time for a moment and talk about your sporting career. Now, you're a Victorian, you're a Geelong girl, but I actually believe you spent a bit of time on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, So, yeah, I was born in Geelong, and then um, after that, we moved up to the sunny coast for a few years, and then I came back down to Geelong. You went to school at St. Robertson, U-Town, and then secondary at Sacred Heart College in Geelong. Um, around that time, your early teens to, to mid-teens, was football on the horizon? Because we know, particularly in the Geelong region, actually netball is pretty strong. Yeah, well, I did play netball um, for a few years at St. Mary's, but um, I came across Woody probably in year nine, when so I was about 15 and did school footy, and then... Um, yeah, I had a couple of mates like Demi Taylor and uh, Lily Mithin that got me across to Newtown and then um, played there for a couple of years. And then St. Mary's, which is my original club, um, made a girls' team. So then I went over there for a couple of years too. During that time, you got invited to take part in the Geelong Falcons program. It'd be originally Academy and then it'd be the TAC Cup girls program. Uh, how did you find the step up to just playing school footy at lunchtime and then obviously the, the school footy representative matches to now coming into a, a semi-professional environment that is TAC Cup football? Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, we had the Falcons. So I had a few of my mates that were down there. So that really helped um, and made it easier and made it fun. But, um, yeah, Jason Armistead was my coach and he was really great. So he was really good about it and um, you could tell he was really passionate with his footy and really invested with us girls. So um, he made it really good and it was actually made it quite professional. So the step up was quite um, – was actually good and, yeah, I, I got uh, – I, um, yeah, it really helped my football. 
A great 2017 for you. Uh, in that year, you are a runner-up in the Geelong Falcons Best and Fairest TAC Cup Team of the Year in uh, 2017. You must have felt things were going good, but an even better 2018 for you and the team was on the cards. Yeah, um, 2017 was a pretty good year. Um, I think that's when I took my football a bit more serious and um, obviously my friends around me like Nina, Denby. Lucy McAvoy, they took it a bit more serious too. So we kind of helped push each other. So, yeah, it was really it was really good um, last two years, actually. Around that time, it was confirmed that Geelong were going to get an AFLW licence. So for yourself, personally, were you a cat supporter growing up? Uh, no, I wasn't actually a cat supporter. I didn't really follow anyone. I just um, liked watching certain players. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, during that time, because Geelong was getting an AFLW licence and how the rules were in the draft, it, it meant that uh, essentially that Geelong would have the pick of the crop when it came to the Falcons. How did it feel for you personally knowing that it was almost a guaranteed pathway? You'd go from Geelong Falcons to Geelong Cats and you'd be able to play football and still live locally? Uh, yeah, it was um, a really nice feeling. I guess at that time I was just trying to be in the moment and focus playing Falcons and um nationals and all that but of course you have that in the back of your head so it was nice to know that could be a possibility and to stay home was also an extra bonus I guess. You're a member of the Geelong Falcons 2018 TAC Cup Premiership team you won the best and fairest that year you had the honour of being vice captain there was a lot of publicity around the Geelong Falcons uh, girls team at that stage. The Geelong Addy were getting behind you. How did you feel having all this hype around you? Because people knew that the likes of yourself and Nina Morrison, for example, were going to be uh, the young crop of players that were going to get the cats off the ground in 2019. Yeah, we had a really strong year um, at the Falcons that year. Um, yeah, there was a bit of publicity, but I think all of us girls just and the coaches as well and staff just, brought it back down so like we just focus on training focus on nature week and they were really good about it so we didn't really get too involved with the media which was nice now by luck paul hood your aflw coach was coaching the geelong cats vflw team for the first two years and you got to play under him in uh, 2018 what were your first impressions of the coach oh yeah hoodie's um real nice he's just he's just really relaxed and calm which I like his, um, that's like his coaching methods anyway. But yeah, Hoodie's a legend and he's been great for me so far. And um, yeah, I've been loving it down there. So it's been great. You managed to uh, get into the team just as you're ready to hit that finals run. How did you um, find the step up from TAC Cup Girls standard, which many people at this stage were saying the skills are, are great at TAC Cup Girls. So I guess the more physicality that comes along in VFLW. Um, yeah, the step up was, I didn't find it too bad. Like, um, I felt I adjusted pretty well with, um, which I could say the other girls did too, like Nina and Denby and the other girls at Cats have adjusted well. But, um, yeah, it was probably more the bigger bodies that I had to get used to. But, um, yeah, having been lucky enough to play the last few games in the VFL, it kind of helped me get ready for AFL, which was nice. You played in the VFLW final series, including uh, the Cats making it to the grand finals, where you'd be eventual runners-up to Hawthorne. Uh, that grand final, we estimated when we called it, uh, there was probably about 8,000 people there watching. 
when you look back on it, how important do you think that was for you and, and some of the younger girls coming through, being able to play in front of such a crowd and such an occasion, knowing that you'd have an historic occasion and an even bigger crowd coming up when you'd play round one AFLW? Uh, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, I think Nina and I were really grateful for the opportunity. But, um, yeah, looking back on it, I didn't realise how many people were in the crowd. I was just excited to be out there having a kick on um, Eddie Had, which was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it was disappointing to get the loss. But, um, yeah, it really was a eye-opener to what it was going to be like for AFLW. There's only one first time, and for the Cats, that first time was a victory over Collingwood at GMHBA Stadium in round one. What do you recall in the moments leading up to and walking out onto the ground for the very first time, being the very first Geelong Cats women's side to play for AFLW Premiership points? Yeah, I was trying to be pretty relaxed um, driving into the stadium and being around the club. But yeah, as you said, once I got out, walked out for the first time, I I was just, it was just so surreal. Like, just for the warm-up, that's the most people I've ever had watch um, me play footy, so it was pretty cool. And then, obviously, running out for the first time, I was just, like, got a little bit nervous, and it was pretty awesome. Like, uh, yeah, you can't describe the feeling because, yeah, it was just unreal. When you reflect back on it, um, I think Demby Taylor was in the photo, that uh, famous photo from round one where there was about three or four girls uh, jumping over the fence, reaching out to her in, in you know, awe and in celebration. I know you're still a teenager yourself, but what does it mean looking at a photo of that of those young girls, which I'm guessing are probably 10, 11 years old, you know, looking up to you now as heroes? Yeah, it's a pretty awesome feeling. Like, um, yeah, I've never really thought about it that much before playing this year but now as it's sort of sunk in and um yeah it's pretty nice to know that you can be a role model for young girls but I guess not only for young girls it's um, it's really nice to see young boys out there too that are watching it's um it's nice for them that it can just be normal for us girls to be playing footy so that also um makes me really grateful as well. Now, it took a few rounds for her to get back into the side because obviously she had done an ACL late in the season last year with Melbourne. Melissa Hickey is your captain. Hickey, a famous name at uh, the Cats. What's it like being under Melissa Hickey and her style of captaincy? Oh, yeah, Mel's a legend. I'm absolutely loving her as a captain. She's so professional, but, um, yeah, I think she just also has a balance as well. She knows how to have fun and have a joke and stuff, so I think that's really nice to have around with the girls um yeah she she just is a role model on and off the field and I just love hanging around her um she's just a great person to be around and yeah I've been loving her as a captain for yourself for your personal improvement going up from TAC Cup to working your way into now to the AFLW side uh during the pre-season with the uh with the conditioning staff what are they focused more on for you personally as it been trying to bulk up for AFLW or more about building an endurance base um yeah it's, it's, uh, yeah there's probably a bit of both in it um i guess they obviously want you to have good endurance because you're running around all day on the field so yeah obviously you want to have good endurance but I have noticed like for me especially um yeah we we have been we did hit the gym hard um in pre-season which is probably what I wasn't used to but um yeah I think it's really helped my um footy to go against um those 
bigger, stronger bodies anyway. So it's been good. And what's it been like trying to get used to that, being at least four to five days a week in the gym and uh, having to push your body through that to get to a leader level? Yeah, at first it was, um, yeah, it was pretty sore the first couple of weeks. Like, yeah. Um, but after a while, uh, you kind of got used to it and your body was, well, obviously conditioned to it. So, yeah, it was um, now, and it got you really prepared to play the game. So I'm really grateful for the preseason and to our strength and conditioning coaches anyway. How did you find out the news that you'd be the NAB AFLW Rising Star co-nominee for this week? Um, I actually got a, a call from Ben Waller. So, yeah, he gave me a ring, um, I think, the day before, and we just had a chat. It was pretty nice and just relaxing anyway. <laughs> what does it mean to be in, in such elite company when you're named alongside, uh, obviously, Nina Morrison, your teammate, you throw in their names such as Elise Parker and, and Madison Press Parkers and Sabrina Duffy? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, obviously, I have a lot of respect for those players and um, especially Nina, who's one of my best mates. I have a lot of respect for her and the way she goes about it um, on and off the field. So, yeah, it's pretty nice to be... Um, my name put up against those girls' names. So, yeah, it's a real honour. Just speaking just quickly for a moment about Nina Morrison, nicknamed Noodles, um, how have they kept her <laughs> involved around the team? Obviously, she's had her ACL. She won't be back to next year. Um, obviously, she's having to go through her rehab and all that now. But uh, what type of involvement have they kept with her around the side? Uh, yeah, so Nina comes um, and does her rehab like the same time as training and then she'll come and watch training and stuff. So she's still involved and we we'll all have dinner together and like um, Nina's a great girl so all the girls are getting around her and um, yeah we all hang out with her and stuff and she'll tr- um, come to the home games and yeah it's been really good I think she's um, still feels like she's really involved and the coaches the staff and the players are really getting around her which is what you want at the club now <laughs> As footballers, you're currently part-time at the moment. So for others, it's balancing a job or, or balancing university and looking at having another career while playing alongside uh, the game. It may be some time yet before AFLW becomes full-time. Uh, so for you personally, uh, what are you looking to either study or, or pick up as a career as you go forward? Um, yeah, at the moment, I'm taking a gap year. So this year, I'm just working uh, through the club. So just doing... Um, AFL bar and just doing footy clinics at primary schools and stuff like that. But yeah, it's something um, that I want to get involved in is growing the um, girls' footy anyway. And then, yeah, I'll just see what happens. I kind of just focusing on these um, couple months of just playing good footy. And then after that, I think I'll branch out a bit more. It was mentioned by the Cats that you love to hang out with friends, swimming, enjoying music and going surfing. You live in a great part of the world for surfing, particularly with the famous Bells Beach nearby. As a local, what's your best surfing spot? Um, yeah, well, I actually live in Barnhead, so I live right next to 13th Beach. So Dad and I and my little sister love going out there. So, yeah, it's pretty fun out there. Um yeah, I love it. <laughs> Turning back to on-field matters for a moment, a big game coming up for you at GMHBA Stadium, hosting the Fremantle Dockers. They're currently third in Conference A, your top of uh, Conference B. A win for you over Fremantle this Saturday could just about lock in a uh, semi-final spot. Yeah, that's pretty exciting to hear. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good to be, have our last game at home against um, a really respected team. So it will be a great challenge, but um, um, seeing what 
training was like last night, I think we're in for a pretty good week and hopefully a pretty good game anyway. So it'll be good. What are you expecting from that game? Because uh, looking at Frio's track record uh, over this year, they're a high-scoring, fast-running side, particularly when you think of the like of Kiara Bowers uh, in the engine room for them. Uh, the games at Geelong at GMHBA Stadium, the two so far, have actually been low-scoring games. What can we expect out of it? Yeah, it has been pretty low-scoring um, the last two games at home. Um, yeah, obviously you said Freo are a pretty fast team and uh, they've got pretty speedy forwards and Bowers is a player's uh, player that we're definitely going to um, take notice of and those sneaky forwards as well. But um, I, th- I think it will be a really fast... By the way, by the way we played last week, I think it will be a really fast um, game and um, we're just going to apply as much pressure as we can. So, yeah, I think hopefully it will be a bit more high scoring this time. One last question before we let you go. We ask that of every footballer that we speak to. What does it mean to you personally when... People say the line, Olivia Purcell, AFLW footballer. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome to hear. I'm just, so it probably, I just feel really grateful and I'm humble that people, that that's something that I do because I love it. So yeah, it's really nice to hear. Well, Olivia, thanks for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best this weekend as you take on the Fremantle Dockers at home in a crunch round six clash. Thanks so much, Peter. Time to head back overseas again, and it's great to see further expansion is happening in the United States Australian Football League, particularly on the women's side. And to give us all the latest info we've got on the line, the USAFL's media manager, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, Peter. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, the American BT. And a new year brings new teams on the women's side of things for the USAFL. Yes, Peter, we've got a new club in the mix. Uh, We have an old club from the uh, formative years of the USAFL coming back in the mix on uh, on the women's side. And we have a couple of the new teams from the last year or two that are growing and getting more players. Let's first of all head off the USA mainland. And uh, it's been talked about for a while. When's a team going to happen in Hawaii? It's mainly been the case of other teams because they'd like to go there for a tournament. But we now have a club established in Honolulu. Yeah, we've got the Hawaii Eagles. And uh, like you said, Peter, this has been... uh, I guess kind of a dream in a sense, if if not only for, you know, obvious reasons of, you know, actually going to play a road game in Honolulu, but the fact that uh, Honolulu is practically halfway to Australia would make it a great jumping off point. But uh, Dallas McCullough, who is a, a former member of the Austin Crows, gone to uh, Australia, had played in the VAFA uh, for a year or so, or, or for almost a I would say about half a season. He came back, moved to Hawaii, and uh, wanted to keep his passion going. And it took a year or so for him to finally get uh, under his feet. But with the help of uh, a couple of folks at the uh, consulate there in Honolulu, as well as with the West Coast Eagles, the Hawaii Eagles are now a reality. Now, uh, they do have, I believe, two or three women playing. And it's interesting because they, they are very active on social media. And every time they post a picture of one of their practices or scrimmages, I always feel like there's another new person there, uh, which is which is great. Um, I'm, I have to check and see. I believe Megan Clifford, who uh, used to play for the Seattle Grizzlies. I know uh, 
husband, Jason, is playing uh, for uh, Hawaii. They had there last year, and they were also hoping that a team would started. Uh, but the plan is is they'll have a, a, a couple of women playing. Uh, their goal is to go to uh, Salem, Oregon on July 27th for the Western Regionals and uh, maybe see if they can get one or two players across the Florida for Nationals. That might be a, a little bit of a tall order, but uh, my understanding and just talking to Dallas is that it's easy for them to get to the West Coast of the United States in terms in terms of uh, flight prices. So, yeah, very exciting, and uh, it, it's caught on pretty fast, and we'll see how, how fast it grows on the women's side. The one interesting thing I heard about the Hawaii Eagles, again, particularly where they are placed in the Pacific Ocean, is that they're trying to encourage to not only have West Coast teams in the USA to come across, but for teams in Asia to challenge them, or, for that matter of fact, for teams that, uh, when there's a cheap Jetstar offer on, to fly up from Australia to take them on. Yeah, the the opportunities are endless. And I and I think the other side of that is, Peter, is now that there's a base there in Honolulu, you might also see uh, maybe international tournaments, uh, not only with the, the Revolution, but the USA Freedom Women's side, uh, to challenge, as you say, these up-and-coming teams in Asia, uh, you know, great news coming out of Japan that they're trying to get a women's program started and, and already have suppliers, uh, Malaysia and uh, China, as well as, as you say, teams, maybe some amateur clubs from, from Australia to come across. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really neat now that there's a there's an established club there and uh, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. Let's look across to a team that's been around uh, the USAFL for a number of years, but uh, some may forget that they were originally three-time champions on the women's side of the equation. They're back, the Atlanta Kookaburras. Yeah, the Atlanta Kookaburras were the first uh, three championship seasons, uh, 2005, 2006, 2007, of the women's division. And, uh, you know, everybody knows the name Judith Stein, who's the USA Liberty head coach, but she got her start uh, with the Atlanta Kookaburras and was a key part of those three championship teams. Uh, of course, the their fourth straight championship, which was 2008, when they lost to the Calgary Kookaburras uh, on a very cold and rainy uh, day in Colorado Springs, probably the one of the best USAFL games I've ever seen. 27 to 22 was the final uh, going back 11 seasons. But uh, Wayne Kraska is the president of the Atlanta Kookaburras. Uh, Kras was the inaugural coach of the USA Freedom. Uh, he still has a lot of ties, uh, obviously as president, but to the Freedom program, uh, especially when you think about, you know, you talk about coaching trees and you talk about organizational trees. Uh, there's a lot of, of folks that are involved uh, uh, and folks that were involved in helping get clubs started, like uh, uh, Jenny Sarbacker, who uh, helped uh, with the Milwaukee Lady Bombers and the, the Wisconsin Wombats women's side as well. Um, but uh, the thing with Kraz is that uh, part of the renaissance with the Kookaburras in general as well has been uh, his AFL social program. Uh, which is uh, non-contact. We call Osball, but it's it's a non-contact. It's it's uh, uh, low key, as the name indicates. And the other thing that he has done in bringing, you know, not only people in the Atlanta area, but he's helping the established programs regionally. Uh, last year, the Rome Redbacks, so the city of Rome, which is about 80 miles away from Atlanta, 
And uh, this year, there was a team uh, looking to get started in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is about four, I would say about three, four hours away from Atlanta. It's on the Atlantic coast. It's a beautiful city. Uh, I know it was in the running for the Eastern Regional host, uh, but uh, there are some games on the schedule with this team in Savannah, and uh, there's uh, going to be, it sounds like, one or two women's players from there as well. So uh, exciting times in Atlanta. The Kookaburras are back. They're playing a limited schedule this year, but I'm interested to see how they'll go with the Eastern Regionals in Raleigh on June 15th. As we have a look at some of the sides that uh, were established last year and previous years that are expanding, I mean, the one was the Nashville Kangaroos. They came onto the women's program. We knew they took part in the Central Regional Tournament. Um, I believe they're starting to pull in a few more players. They are as well. They had their first official practice uh, just this week. And uh, it's what's, what's great about them, Peter, is the, how fast and how quickly – not, not only are they picking up the skills uh, and, and they have a very good base, there's two players in particular that I, that uh, actually three, uh, Natalie Smith, uh, Alexa Roncaccio, as well as Carson Moore, who I think all three could be uh, national team products at some point. But uh, all three of them, uh, as well as some of the other players that they've picked up, have picked up the game and has picked up the idea of building a, a team very, very quickly. They want it to grow. And they're also helped, I feel, by that Nashville Kangaroos organization, which uh, has been around there. This is their 20, I believe it's their 22nd season. And uh, Evan Ling, who has been with that club since about since the beginning, uh, has told me that that's one of the things that he's really been pushed for. He's a former president of the club that they've really been pushing for is to, is to get them on the women's map. And uh, it looks like they're going to do that. It, it's not like they're going to zoom up to division one very quickly, but I think you're going to see them have more and more of a presence as we go on over the next year or two. And the other side we need to talk about is Chicago because there was fears originally that the Chicago women's program was going to stop and that was it because there was an Aussie there and Amy McGuinness. Essentially, she was the only Chicago Swans player. There was fears that the program uh, would be done for, but instead it's actually gone in the opposite direction. Yeah, and that's another thing as well. We talked, I mentioned the Milwaukee Lady Bombers and, and they aren't, aren't around anymore and Milwaukee as a club is, is struggling uh, as it is, so it's great to see uh, that club uh, really embrace the women's side. Uh, you mentioned Amy McGinnis. She, she's moved to uh, uh, Toronto. Uh, she was living in Canada, but she did come back to play for the Swans at the Nationals. And then you have uh, Claudia Hendershaw, who spent some time with the San Francisco Iron Maidens playing for them as well. Uh, you have a couple of uh, Australians. Tess Maisie was one that played for them last year and uh, starred for, for them with the Midwest All-Stars in the Central Regional Tournament this year, or last season. Um, they're, they're slowly growing. They're going to be fun to watch over the next couple of years. They've got some games scheduled. Uh, they're going to be uh, playing Atlanta, that Atlanta side as well. They're going to be, uh, them and Nashville are going to be playing with Atlanta, uh, and uh, I, I'm told that they'll probably be playing with and against Des Moines and Wisconsin, North Star, Minnesota, Columbus. So uh, they've got teams surrounding them. The Midwest part of the U.S. is historically a very good cultivator for, for footy. 
And uh, especially on the men's side, we'll see how it goes with Chicago. But yeah, a lot of optimism coming out of the Windy City. That's great news to hear. And of course, we'll be catching up with you in a few weeks' time once we start to get uh, closer to the start of the tournament. It's traditionally around May that most of the corn- tournaments start to get rolling. I heard of the Cascadia tournament happening up in Seattle. Uh, we, of course, have got tournaments happening in uh, New York. Um, um, added to that, uh, the usual stump down, throw down, plus, of course, the Eastern Regionals, the Central Regionals, and the Western Regionals. Yeah. Um, and I guess for if you're listening to us and you're not terribly familiar with, uh, I guess, the USAFL and the structure, uh, especially on the women's side, because there aren't many that there aren't that many teams and there isn't a whole lot of opportunity to play full on games. You'll see that a lot where three or more teams will gather. We have a lot of it on the men's side, but you'll see three, four teams gather. They'll play uh, 40 minute games to 20 minute halves usually. Um, but uh, to me, I think the real bellwether will be those regional tournaments. Uh, you look at the Eastern Regional in Raleigh, uh, where you have uh, New York, a team that uh, had always been considered in the higher echelon uh, the last couple of years. Now they, you see the regional teams from uh, Boston, Baltimore, Washington, which uh, had always been kind of on the cusp. You see them starting to emerge, Columbus as well. Uh, the uh, out west, you've got uh, Portland and Seattle now fully fledged Division One sides after going from from absolutely nothing three years ago to take on well established teams like San Francisco and Sacramento, uh, and you know, the two Arizona sides, especially the Arizona Lady Hawks and the Arizona Outlaws. The real story will be in the Central Regional in Denver and the. The Lady Bulldogs and the uh, and the Denver Club in general moved to the Central Region. Uh, partially, the men's side take on uh, the Austin Crows, who are the defending uh, div- uh, Division One men's champions. But it's also a great opportunity for the Lady Bulldogs to help grow some of the programs out there. We've already talked about Nashville and Chicago. Of course, the Minnesota Freeze. Uh, you've got the North Star Blue Ox, who are entering their third season of play, and then you have the Texas Heat, and there is a talk at some point, and uh, we're curious as to whether it'll be this year or, or possibly in the next year or so to where the Texan clubs will form their own team. And right now, Houston has been the impetus behind that Texas Heat program. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how much they've all improved against Denver, who has, for the last decade, been... Uh, one of the gold standards in terms of how other teams are measured. And I'll give you one last one just before we go. You mentioned about the Boston Lady Demons. Of course, they had one very famous player at one stage in Jessica Wuchner. A Geelong ruck called Erin Hoare will be doing part of her research into diabetes up in Boston during the Australian winter, American summer. Would she look good again in red and blue? Oh, she would look fantastic in red and blue, and and I'll tell you what, uh, she'd, she'd be she'd be handy to have in the ruck. Um, I, I will say this: just I did reach out to her when I saw that, and uh, she did acknowledge it, and she said that she might uh, she, she might check them out. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, that would be that would be great not only for for Boston but for the USAFL, I would think. Brian, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you in about a month or so as we get close to the tournaments for your full USAFL season preview. 
Thanks, Pete. Always a pleasure. Time to look back at round three of the Sandville Women's Competition and joining us on the line for the first time this year, our Adelaide reporter from the Two Crows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Absolutely fantastic. Peter, yourself? I'm guessing you would be fantastic because, yes, the Crows <laughs> beat the Kangaroos to stop the Roos' unbeaten run. Yes, um, two wins, two unbeaten teams, and two wins to us. I'd say we're building quite nicely, keeping a lid on it over here, but really enjoying the way the women are going about it under Maddie Clark's tutelage. Let's have a look at some of the games that were played in round three, though, of the SANFLW competition. Now, this is the third year of the competition. It's been extended again from six to eight teams, as we've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks. Uh, round three action. I'm, I'm surprised by the form here of the Tigers. Glenelg, 7-6-48, defeating North Adelaide, who played off uh, for a grand final uh, spot uh, last year and then, of course, uh, were runners-up in 2017, 5-3-33. I know. You're not the only one in shot there, but the Tigers are sitting free and zip at the moment and um, good on them. They're getting stuck right into the season. From where they came last year to this year, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, looking at the game in there, the Tigers actually, first quarter started off strongly with, North pegging them back in the second and actually taking the lead in the third. But I'll be honest, Glenelg just totally running out winners at the end of the game. Um, some of the interesting things I thought from the team statistics side of it, uh, we're getting along with, uh, where are we here? Uh, tackles, 61 to 50. Glenelg's race, obviously putting a lot of pressure on the ball carrier. They had 13 shots at goal compared to eight, um, although their shooting accuracy was a little lower. But their rebound 50s of 20 to 14, I'm sure, helped get a lot of the score on the board there. Now, I'm just going to have a look at some of the better players for uh, Glenelg. Uh, leading disposal was Chelsea Packer with 16. Uh, Jordana Bradley and Lucy Bellinger with 12. And Ellie Kellogg with 11. For North, Amber Ward, uh, Nadia Vamberto, Adrian Davies with 14. And Jane Elschwager with 11. Goals there, so Melbourne, Madison Freeman came in there with two. Hannah Crump, Tasman Morris, Lucy Armitage and Samantha Franson are rounding out the goals there for Glenelg. And for North, Kelly Baltrup with two. Lauren Daniel, Nadia Bomberto and Paige Allen, um, who normally plays out there for Salisbury as well, are getting some runs on the board there. Turning our attention to the second game was the battle of the expansion teams. Uh, Central Districts 10-6-66 defeating the Woodville West Torrens Eagles 5-8-38. And just a quick point, of course, earlier we interviewed Chloe Shear, who was the NAB AFLW yeah. Rising Star uh, nominee uh, for this week, playing with the Crows in their win over the Ruse. And her sister at the same time was ripping it up for Central District. Absolutely. Abby Shear going hard at it and representing her family well playing for the new team of Central Districts, which who um, really gave the old Eagles a bit of a touch-up. I'm quite impressed with the way that they're starting to go about it, as I thought they would actually sit more around the bottom and not be scoring as well as they are. But uh, the Bulldogs were basically, I think the Eagles kicked the first one, and then that was itchy cried. The Bulldogs took over and really stamped their authority in the game. Um, you've got listed Crocat and Rosenswey kicked in three there as well. Abby Shear managed to get a goal in there. Uh, Isabella Wilson, 2-2. Chantel Reynolds and Amy Fisher rounding out the goals for Centrals. Sarah Perkins, a little name you might be aware of, kicking 2-2, leading the way there for Woodville. 
West Torrens, aka the Eagles. Kiana Lee won three. Who would like to have better kicking boots, I think? Rachel Dunstan and Stephanie Walker are getting a goal apiece there. Now, um, just having a look uh, for the leading disposals, Abby Shear and Daniel Stewart, 13. So, as you mentioned, Abby Shear putting on a bit of a show there. And I got to see some of the highlights from that game as well. And she goes about it hard. And it does remind you a little bit of the way that Chloe goes about it. Amy Fisher and Isabella Wilson did well as well for their disposals. Uh, for the Eagles, we had Steph Walker with 18, Jamie Tabb with 15, Keanu Lee, Perko, uh, Natalie Sibeli with 13. For the goals, as uh, Caitlin Rosenswide, Crow-listed player, kicking three. Really happy to see that coming along. Isabella Wilson, Chantel Reynolds with two, Abby Shearer, as mentioned, and Amy Fisher. Um, for the Eagles, Perko, and I've already said this, so I don't need to go over it again. But I just want to mention Perka because she's a crow. So I hope that's okay with you, Peter. But of course, Perkins from her two games with the Eagles has kicked five goals, six. Let's turn our attention to the game between Norwood and Sturt. 14 points of difference in the end. The Red Legs 5-7-37, defeating the Double Blues 3-5-23. Yes, um, probably a lot closer than most people thought. Sturt have been struggling pretty well um, since joining the league in there. But Norwood had both of them quite inaccurate. But... Norwood eventually running out winners. Um, Sturt actually got the jump on Norwood early in the first quarter, kicking the first two goals. And Norwood only really started uh, moving on from there in the final quarter, to be honest, in a very low-scoring affair. But for Norwood, Emma Clark getting on the board there with 1-1. Joe Hill, Monique Hollick, and I'm probably going to butcher this person's name. I think it could be Najwa Allen, um, who's come across from Canberra, and I'm seeing her name in the stats every single week. Kate Benton there rolling them out for Norwood as well. For Sturt, you had Sophie Hall, Lauren Lovell and Elaine Trenorden in there. So uh, looking, though, um, at the leading disposals, some familiar names were familiar to me. Sophie Armistead with 19 for Norwood, Monique Collick with 18 and Najwa Allen for 13. So two of those players obviously previously Crows listed. So Norwood have really made sure they've stocked up on top-end talent, and I think that's showing in the way they're going about it. For Sturt, we had Alex Ballard with 15, Lucy Griffith with 13, Maisie Nankabill and Caitlin Swanson and Hannah Prinsler with 12. Uh, so that wraps up that game, so it'll be really interesting to see how they go for old Sturt in the uh, following week. The final game for round three saw the Bloods, West Adelaide 3, pardon me, 5-2-32, uh, going down to the South Adelaide Panthers, the reigning premiers, 7-6-48. Yeah, and probably a little bit lucky with that scoreline with a bit of inaccuracy coming in there from the Panthers. Um, probably the best thing that Westy's got out of it is they've got the leading goal kickers for the league in Chelsea Biddle uh, leading from the front again with uh, kicking 2-1. Um, Melanie Elsgood kicked one. Emma Smith and Zoe Venning also got on the board there for Westies for South. Indy Tahu kicked two. Uh, Tia Charlton, Daniel Goding, Hannah Munyard and Madison Bennett also getting on the board there. But the Bloods jumped out early um, and kicked the first goal. But again, as per the previous game there, it uh, got a little bit uglier from them. And I think they should probably count themselves a little bit lucky that it didn't come um, back to bite them a little bit further, if you know what I mean. Leading disposals. Now, there's a player down at South, and I think her name is Zenya, um, C-Z-E-N-Y-A. Uh, she's a 26-year-old, I think it is, uh, Kavoris, 
29 disposals, and she is absolutely carving it up in the SANFLW. Uh, Tia Charlton and Nikki Gore, Crows was the player there, and Nikki for 19. Samantha Pratt with 15, and my two favourite names to say, Montana McKinnon and Hannah Munyard, or as I like to call them, Hannah Montana, um, getting in there with 13, and Madison Bennett also on the board as well. Uh, the goals, uh, I've already prattled through them, so I won't do that again and double it up. But it's all seeming to be starting to get quite interesting um, to see which team's going to be coming back and getting on board here on the ladder. And you speak about Zanya. I guess it's an interesting thing because of the timing of the Sandford W season. As much as, obviously, they're playing in the Crows' backyard and right under their nose, and the Crows would be licking their lips going, maybe we could recruit her for 2020. Mm -hmm. I guess the problem at the same time, by having a competition so early, it also enables the Victorian clubs with their VFLW competition not starting to May to be able to try and give a wink and a nudge to say, hey, why not come over and spend the winter in Victoria and see how you go here in an effort to try and convince Mm -hmm. her to nominate for the Victorian draft pool, which we, of course, know Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be many, many positions up for grabs with both Richmond and St Kilda coming into the competition. That's probably a fair comment, but the electric fence I'm going to put around them, I'm <laughs> hoping will deter them. But they also did, um, Danielle Ponter, um, as you hear the pundits, they're always talking about how she played down there for Essendon. Uh, still ended up lining up there for the Crowies as well. So I'd like to think that, because each year you're still going to have a seven-player turnover, that the Crows should have a pretty good hand in um, cherry-picking some of the players. But you're right, I think you're, every team is at risk of losing top-end talent for the expansion clubs. And if you did it like North Melbourne did very cleverly um, and the players they picked, well, they've just shot right to the top um, with that. So they're going great guns and Frios have improved uh, no end. And the the surprising one for me is the Giants, to be brutally honest. So I tip big things from them this year. Well, we'll get your tips next week because we know we have a buy because of the Labor Day long weekend, which is happening in both Victoria and South Australia. So we look forward to chatting to you quickly mm-hmm. next week, Ali, when we preview round four of the Sandford Women's Competition. Excellent. Looking forward to it, Peter. Thank you very much. Now it's time for everyone's favourite segment featuring a legend of the Sydney women's football scene, current assistant coach at the Darabin Falcons and a member of the coaching staff at the Eastern Rangers in the NAB League girls competition. It's great to have on the line Lisa Kiwi-Roper for Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. How are you, Kiwi? I'm very good. I'm still surviving the fans and the crowds who don't agree with my tipping, but um, I am here and smiling and happy and awake. Talking about uh, not agreeing with your tipping, hello to Giants Women Say, who of course gave us a plug during the week and your famed kiss of death. Yes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they'll say this week, um, but actually, I didn't tip the Giants, so um, perhaps they'll still give me um, some space when I come back to Sydney. <laughs> Well, you did well this week. A hug or two. <laughs> you did well this week. You did get four out of five. But we're going to start off by saying. You tipped the Lions, and the Lions were one two eight, and they went down to Geelong five five thirty five. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and Geelong were without um, a couple of good players too. So um, you know, credit to Geelong on the road, and Lions they just hit them hard at home, didn't they? It's uh, disappointing for the Lions fans, and it's. Um, it's just, yeah, amazing that they'd only kick one goal with the star power they've got in their forward line. But um, credit to Geelong defenders. You know, there's um, 
is Beck in there who plays for the Rock Dogs. So shout out to her and um, Egg Mac from last week. And, you know, they've got some quality defenders. So credit to the Cats. Carlton and Collingwood at Princess Park. He tipped the Blues, got that correct. 4 10 34 to 4-5-29. The Pies led by as much as 10 points at one stage, but with three minutes to go, a snap by Darcy Vessio gave the Blues the win and keeps the Pies winless. Yes, I think you can't underestimate the star power in Darcy Vessio, that's for sure. But it did look for a while that the Pies were going to take that game. They um, played some good quality football and, it seemed that um, what the Blues did in the first half of the game, they couldn't sort of uh, continue in the second half. But, however, the fourth quarter, and I think um, perhaps the telling difference may have been one certain club president standing in the race screaming at his team as they ran on at halftime may have changed their, their, their uh, focus or their confidence or something. I don't know. I don't know how I'd go if I had Eddie yelling at me. The Giants, 2-6-18, went down to Melbourne, 8-9-57. You tipped the Ds to win, and you were correct on that front. Yes, sadly correct. Um, I still wanted the Giants to win, but Ds are just playing too, too um, good a footy and kicking a lot of goals. And at the end of the day, you've got to kick a lot of goals to um, to get the results. And, you know, for me, I thought um, Giants started strong. But it looked to me like when they started their midfield rotations, they just perhaps put a little bit of inexperience. I think for a while there, they had Hanin against um, Elisa Day. And, you know, the body size is, is off, let alone the experience. So, you know, I thought their matchups, they probably could have done a little bit better through the midfield. And perhaps that's when um, D's got on top of them and they just couldn't get it back. It's just too much, too much experience in that D side. So, yeah, a sad day for the Giants fans. You reckon the Crows were going to win on the road, and you were correct. 10 4 64 over the Kangaroos, 4 5 29. Fairly even up to half time, and then the Crows put the pedal to the medal. It was a fantastic game, and yeah, it was even. It was um, even throughout, and um, I picked it to be a close game. I didn't pick the Crows to win by quite that much, but, you know, they did good. And having said that, um, I think Ash um, Cashmore, I think she did. Nine, or uh, well, she's got. I think she broke the record for uncontested marks. So, um, and Jess Duffin took a lot. I think Emma Carney had really high possession numbers. So, the Roos had a lot of ball, um, and you know, just come against the team. I think um, for Erin Phillips, it's her sixth game with over fifteen possessions and two goals, which is into a very rare um, group of players ever to achieve that so um, yeah I think I think I still think those two will be in the grand final I think um, that's what we saw in the weekend was the prelude to um, what's going to be a ripper game in the final and Frio 8-4-52 defeating the Western Bulldogs 5-4-34 that puts the Dogs now officially on very thin ice if they're to make the finals and defend their crown yeah that would have been a long sad trip home for the Bulldogs they were in that game, um, and, you know, they created a lot of opportunity, and Creo just started at them, and um, Duffy, boy, what a young player she is. So um, good on on Creo. They're kicking, they're just kicking so many goals. They're hard to stop. Time to get your tips for round six, the second last round. We begin on Saturday, 2.35pm at a GMHBA stadium. This one now starting to look a lot interesting. 
Geelong versus the Frio Dockers. Frio sitting third in Group A. The Cats sitting atop of Group B. And now we have to look at them differently after that big win over the Lions. Yeah, I think... Um, and also Cats have sort of ground out wins at home as well. It hasn't been too pretty and hasn't been by big margins, but they've done enough to get the points. Um, however, Frio have a knack of kicking a lot of goals. So... Um, I'm going to tip Frio. I probably should tip the Cats for my kiss of death to bring them down. And Actually, I think Giants are out now, but just to make the B, or the B um, conference a little more interesting. <laughs> now, for the doubleheader at Marvel Stadium, the first game at 4.40pm, and let me say, Collingwood fans, it ain't getting easier. They're taking on a North Melbourne team, which is probably feeling pretty burnt after their first loss. Uh, yeah, I'm certain that they're going to bounce back and actually play even harder and um, probably even, you know, better quality. I think often that happens, a team um, wins so many and then they have a loss not far before finals and then they tend to bounce back and win the grand final. So I think what you get is a little bit of that bounce back. But that I probably sense there's a bit of grudge match for this one with the number of um, magpies that defected to the ruse. So perhaps there's, um, there's going to be a bit more grunt in those tackles this weekend. But yeah, I'm tipping the ruse. The second game is part of that doubleheader, 7.10pm at Marvel Stadium. Two sides that last year were playing for a spot in the grand final are now playing to try and keep their long shot finals hopes alive, the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. It's going to be a tough one. Um, I think, you know, Bulldogs after last week will probably come out a lot stronger. Um, I just think the Ds have been consistently kicking in a lot of goals all year and... Um, Bulldogs have spark in the back line, but they seem to lack others around to help her out and be really strong collectively. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm thinking Dee's are going to take this one. On Sunday, 2.05pm Eastern Time at Unley Oval, it's the Adelaide Crows and the GWS Giants. Well, I don't think anyone in the comp's probably going to pick the Giants, sadly. Um who knows, they could bounce back and start winning now. I think they did that last year as well. Picked up some late-round wins. But um, Crows are on fire. You know, they're just all their, all their strong players are playing well. Um, you've got McCormack, who's just outstanding. Um, Chelsea Randall, I don't know, I think she's just the silent assassin who just comes and cuts off so much ball going down the field for the other team. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the Crows probably by about 30 points. And at 4.05pm Eastern Time at Princess Park, the five for second spot on the Conference B ladder, Carlton and Brisbane. Yeah, I think Carlton, you know, they learnt something. They're playing, you know, some football that's not too bad. They're just not consistent through the four quarters. Um, and I'm pretty sure with um, the way the Lions have played some of their games this year, I think what they'll do is they know they can play a better style of football. And um, after last week's whipping, I'm pretty sure the Lions won't do that two weeks in a row. So, yeah, I'd tip the Lions for that one. Well, Kiwi, thanks again for your kiss of death for yet another week, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 6 and look at the final round of the AFLW. One other thing, though, one other thing. At Marvel Stadium, there's three games happening, just to let you know and let the listeners know. If you get to the gates at 3.30 and sprint to your seats because there's no other way of doing it, there is the Grand Old Masters match happening. Um, they'll be in Vic Country and Vic Metro Guernseys. 
but yeah, there's a lot of footy legends that will be on that field, including um, 350 gamer Belinda Blouse. So um, plenty of talent and plenty of um, people who've never played footy or playing in their first season of footy in you know in their 50s. We've even got one lady, Lynn, who started, who handed out flyers in 1979 and um, found 90 women who wanted to play football in Victoria back then. And so she's taken the field as well. She's, I'm not allowed to say her age, but you can do the numbers. She's, um, she's taken the field. So, um, and one of the team runners is Lauren Arnell's mum that we nicknamed Junior. At the ripe old age of 69, she'll be one of the runners in the weekend. So, um, lots of, um, star power in that in that game that um, starts at 3.30. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast on Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WARF radio or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio. Until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.